What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguera. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. Gonna... <laughs> that's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I was a All right, welcome back to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And we are finishing our case here of Jeffrey Dahmer, creepy mad scientist guy uh, who likes to do experiments on kids. So, where did we leave off? Well, we left off at him being actually arrested when one of his would-be victims basically punched him in the face and ran out and was able to flag down police departments. And when they got to his apartment, they basically found a house of horror. There were seven skulls, torsos in, in acid-filled uh, containers. There was dissected penises, uh, hands, torsos, legs, arms. And I, I don't think we mentioned it too in detail, but he was also eating these people. He's also eating people. He's known as a Milwaukee cannibal for a reason. He's actually consuming the flesh from these people, which goes in line with what I was saying. He collects these people because they are his friends. He talks to the skulls. He kisses the skulls. He uses them as focal points for masturbation. He's basically collecting the men or boys that are his sexual partners, the people that he wants to be around. And by him collecting the entire skull, the torsos, limbs, he's collecting the person himself. So he's never alone. They never leave him. So, but they arrest him. And, um, you know, I did want to mention one thing, Matt. When um, Jeffrey Jommer, uh spent a little bit of time in Florida, and um, there's a case, a very famous case that he has been, well, attached to in a way. I believe that he is actually the killer in this case as well. But And that is the case of Adam Walsh, the Florida youth that was kidnapped and murdered. Um, you know, there's there's that case as well. Dahmer has been implicated in it. Never proven, but implicated nonetheless. So there are a lot of cases that are still floating around that Dahmer probably had a hand in. Since he never really gave that information to anyone, uh, people believe that he may not have done it. But as we know, and you and I have talked about, serial killers have their own motives to tell about one murder and get not telling about another one. Yeah. Well, Adam Walsh is a six-year-old kid, was a six-year-old kid. Is his motivation that he's more ashamed of some of his stuff than others, other things? It's very possible. Yes, that is very possible. So it's hard to tell, but his name has been attached to him or linked to him. 
So I just thought that the audience would probably want to know that. But we are at a point in the story where he is now in police custody. And as I've mentioned, he likes to dominate the narrative. He immediately confesses to what he's done. He talks about it freely. And he gives up the information of basically 17 murders that he committed. And what do you think the actual number is? Closer to... Given the fact that in 1991 to 1994, he killed basically 15, 16 people that we know of, I would say in the time period between 1978 when he did his first murder and then 1991 when he started again, which they believe he started, I think there's probably another probably between, oh, I don't know, 8 to 15 other murders, mm-hmm. including some in Germany. So given that he is literally like filing his crimes into file cabinets and collecting all of this memorabilia for lack of a better word uh obviously and now he's he's talking to the police so this is a pretty simple case right but i don't know if the trial drew a lot of media attention well it did yes no obviously it 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 was huge. The media really ate this stuff up. And it kind of gave him, you know, what he wanted, attention. He's now, before he was kind of a guy no one noticed, no one cared about him. Now everybody cares about this guy. And he's talking, he's giving dozens of interviews about all these victims. But they don't carry um, the death penalty in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There's no death penalty there. So he's able to give what he wants. And another reason why he may not want to say that he is the killer of Adam Walsh. He's a six-year-old boy, and in Florida, they do have a death penalty, and they usually kill you within five to six years. So that's another reason why he may not want to give that up. But in Milwaukee, he's giving up everything he has. He's giving interviews, and the police are more than happy to get the information from him. Unfortunately, and I don't believe that they should have left it there, but there's so, only so much they can do to him. They gave him like 941 years, 16 life sentences. So what else could you do to the guy? Obviously, they, they, they sentence him to death during the, the the trial where the family is able to, the sentencing hearing where the family is able to talk. Of course, there's outbursts. Um, the family's very upset. They're, they're screaming at this guy. Um, but ultimately, they just, they just sentenced him to 15 consecutive life sentences, which is 941 years, and he goes off to prison. So is he going to be, I'm assuming, put into a, a protective unit, right? Yeah, well, that's, that, is, that is the standard for um, serial killers, and that's exactly what uh, the Department of Corrections uh, in... Um, that area does. They put him in protective custody where he's there for a year, but it's not happy times there. You're stuck in a cell. You're not going anywhere. You really don't see anybody. You're in isolation, and he doesn't like it. And after a year, he makes kind of a mistake to request to go to a general population. And they basically let him. I don't know if he administration's thinking like, hell yeah, let him get out there, let him get killed. Everybody knows that a serial killer on the main line is going to get you killed. It's that simple. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, 
It's going to happen. Well, and he's been in prison a year at that point. Doesn't he know that that's going to happen? I mean, is this a suicide mission, or what's he doing? It could have been, but I, I think he was just brazen. He just didn't think it was going to happen to him. Well, it's happened. A year has passed. I'm fine. No one's going to do anything to me. But he, um, yeah, he goes. He gets in a work detail. But it's these antics, and these are the words of staff members as well as other inmates or convicts that say that he's, he's demented. He, he's always talking about victims and, and he, he's always cracking jokes when, when guards get too close to him. For example, they'll look at him and, and he'll smile and say, I bite. Like that he's a cannibal and he eats people. Um, when he's eating his dinner, he usually designs the food that look like a body and then he begins to eat it in a way where there's ketchup on his lips and his face. Look, a lot of guys take, you know, it's insulting to them. He killed a bunch of kids too. So he's almost taunting people and then he has this awakening where he decides to find the Bible. And he begins to take these courses on Bible studies. His father is obviously a born-again Christian. And, you know, it's this thing that a lot of people in prison do. They, they, they find God. And my position has always been, I didn't know he was lost to begin with. So how do you find someone that wasn't lost? But look, I'm just being facetious here. He finds God. And he decides he wants to get baptized. And, yeah, they, they put him in robes. They have a ceremony for him. Um, during this time, he puts up signs called for, you know, they have Alcohol Anonymous. He, put, he puts up a sign that says Cannibals Anonymous, Anonymous. So he's really pissing people off. And as soon as he's baptized in July of 94, another prisoner during a church service slashes his throat. He's placed in isolation again, but requests to go back to the main line. I'll be back. Hey, man. Yeah, so this guy is obviously this tremendous prick, and he's trolling a bunch of murderers. I don't think that's going to work out well. I also obviously am not buying the born-again Christian thing. Yeah, that, so that's crazy. So he gets his throat slashed, and then he still hasn't had enough, I guess. No, because when he goes to the isolation, he tells the, the classification committee that it was an isolated incident, that the guy uh, would, you know, it's just one guy. It's, it's no, no one else thinks the way he was thinking. And the administration says, oh, okay, great. Hey, have at it. And they <laughs> let him out. So, you know, come on, I mean, really, I mean, I would have let him out, too. Say, hey, man, look, hey, there you go, buddy. You know, it, it sounds like, it does sound like that's what's happening, because they have to know uh, that he's going to be targeted again. It sounds like they don't care. I don't blame them, really, either, at all. No, look, I'm willing to bet you that they had a pool going on how many days after this it would take for them to kill, how many months after this would it take for someone to step up there and kill this guy. And I would have had a pool going. Sure. I mean, heck, if it were here, it, the guy would have lasted a week. But obviously in in that part of the country, they do things a little bit differently. But 
Um, so Mr. Dahmer, the cannibal of Milwaukee, is placed on a cleaning duty. And, uh, you know, he has a little detail that he has to go through, and there's a guy by the name of Christopher Scarver and Jesse Anderson who are, you know, attached to this detail. They are working the, the, the cleaning job for the prison gymnasium in the bathrooms, and they're cleaning. And, of course, they have staff members who watch over these guys just to make sure that they're doing their job, not so much that one of them is going to kill the other one. So the staff members leave these guys alone for about 20 minutes. And at which time, of course, this guy, Christopher Scarver, who is a murderer, by the way, he's in prison, he's doing a life sentence for murder, decides, well, this is my opportunity. And he confronts Dahmer. And he asks him, which I don't believe, okay? Supposedly, according to Scarver, he asked Dahmer, did you do those things to those boys? And his response to this guy is, yes. And as soon as he get, says yes, Scarver picks up a weighted metal bar and just starts to beat this guy to death. He crushes his skull and, um, hey, he basically beats him to death, and then he's not done, though. He turns, and the other guy, whose name is Jesse Anderson, he decides, hell, I might as well kill two birds with one stone, and he beats this guy to death, too. So that is the the funeral and the burial of Jeffrey Dahmer in one file. Street. Now, I'm sure, I don't know what that guy, Jesse Anderson, was in prison for, and you know, I, I don't want to comment about his death, but the one on Dahmer, look, hey, man, he had it coming. Um, more power to uh, Scarver, but he kind of, in my opinion, he kind of played it wrong because although he killed this guy, then he, he goes into this whole thing about, um, you know, I heard voices, a voice told me to do it, and I just, you know, I just don't buy that stuff. I think, honestly, talking from from the mind of a guy who's been in prison for 40 years. Dahmer liked to kill African-American men. I think he was very much attracted to African-American men and people of color. And because he killed so many people that were African-American, this particular guy, Scarver, whether he had mental issues or not, I believe thought, hey, he killed brothers, he killed children. I'm going to handle this. He was already doing life in prison. They don't have a death penalty there. What possibly could he lose aside from getting a medal for killing the child molesting, child molest, uh, serial killer who was basically a piece of garbage? Well, let me fill you in real quick on Jesse Anderson. This guy stabbed his wife to death in the face for no apparent reason. He then blamed the crime on two African American men, and as evidence, that they were, I suppose, African-American. He provided the police with a a baseball cap, but it was of the Los Angeles Clippers basketball team. Because, you know, all black guys love basketball, maybe is what he was thinking. So, you know, Scarver being a, uh, like you said, maybe not appreciating the 
Dahmer's connection, you know, with the black victims, you know, this guy Anderson, you know, he he probably should have been killed too. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. There's the common denominator right there. So, yeah, he, he kills both these guys. And look, this guy, Scarver, he's not the best guy in the world. You know, he's, he's obviously also a murderer. He shot a person four times. He did kill a person. He shot him four times, and um, he was there for that. But, you know, among convicts, his is a straight crime. He just killed the person because he wanted money from him. Where these other guys were the whole sexual perversion, the psychological gratification, all that stuff played a part into it. And maybe as a convict, he was looking at it in that way and, and stepped to the plate and did what he felt was appropriate. Um, since then, that guy, Scarver, has written a book, a poetry book called Ch- Child Left Behind. Um, look, I don't know a whole lot about this guy, but um, I definitely would uh, I definitely would have given him a medal. Sure. I know, you know, Dahmer is not a physically imposing guy, and he's kind of withdrawn and, I guess, meek. He's he's obviously couldn't win a fight against hardly anyone, but uh, is it common that you could kill two guys at once? I mean, that, that can't be uh, all that easy to do. You know, you would think once you beat the one guy's head in with the bar, uh, the other guy at that point, I don't know takes off or whatever. He's not standing around saying I'm next boss. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's not that difficult. When you have a weighted bar from a weight, like maybe a, a barbell or something, and you crack something in the head, he's not going anywhere. If you hit him good enough, he may have immediately one shot put him unconscious and the rest is just work. The other guy was probably in a different section, maybe a couple of feet away outside of a door or something and then went after him. I don't think it's that difficult to do, um, given the fact that I don't know what this guy's size was, but obviously with a metal bar in your hand, you hit him one time, it doesn't take much to kill somebody, especially if you hit him in the head. And then, of course, the other guy, it didn't matter that by that time, you only have you know, one person you're, you're, you're going after. And once you hit him, you just continue to hit him over and over until it's over with. And obviously the police came, uh, the law enforcement correctional officers came in 20 minutes later, and they find both bodies, and this guy just sitting there. So, you know, two and two equals four. They knew who did it, and um, he received two more life sentences, but he was transferred uh, transferred to a federal prison, which they actually, that's actually an award for him because you go from a state facility to a federal facility, oh, my God, you're ten times better. So he... Maybe he had that in mind. Why did they transfer him to a federal facility? Well, federal charges. They, they, um, the charges of killing those two guys in that facility, it becomes a federal charge. And when you get a federal charge and they supersede the other charge you have, which was one murder, now he has two, then he's taken into federal custody, which is probably, man, like heaven to him because... When you go into the feds, you have so much more freedoms and privileges and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. So Scarver said, I think you touched on it, but that he, I think he's trying to act like he had some kind of mental disassociative episode. He says God told him to do it. Um, He's 
either crazy or maybe he's playing up being crazy um instead of just saying uh i wanted to do it you know it seemed like a good idea i mean he's got nothing to lose right he's already he's doing life yeah exactly I mean, he's either crazy or he's crafty as a fox right but um yeah that is the the life and times of a jeffrey the milwaukee cannibals um life and uh his uh antics, his deeds, and ultimately his demise. And uh, look, the world's a better place without him in it. And that's me being completely honest. And if you know anything about me, you know I'm about as straight as an arrow. I always come at you one way and that's immediately straight. And uh, look, guys be the garbage, man. And uh, good riddance. I'm not in any way, shape, or form losing sleep over the way he died or that he was actually killed. Unfortunately, it didn't happen when I was much younger because it would have saved a lot of people's lives. Yeah. His mom, I don't know if this is kind of a point of privilege on her on her part, but whatever, it is her kid, but she reacted poorly to the death. She told the journalist, quote, well, now is everybody happy now that he's bludgeoned to death? Is that good enough for everyone? End quote. And I think the consensus was yes. Yeah, my answer would have been absolutely. And just for information's sake, his mother and father were, which they divorced at one point, but they were sued by the um, the mother, I mean the family of that boy that he killed when he was 18 years old, and that's Stephen Hicks. Uh, obviously that happened way before this when he sent police to find the missing pieces they found teeth and DNA of Stephen Hicks and when the family found out how he actually died because he disappeared no one knew where he went and his family actually found out that Dahmer killed him they sued um, I think it was for like 50 million dollars and they won the lawsuit whether they attached the sum to the family they had to pay it out I don't know what happened but uh, Stephen Hicks' family did sue the Dahmer family for the murder of their child. And their their position was that since he was a teenager, meaning Dahmer, their family should have had control of him. And because they didn't, um, they were liable. They were negligent. Right. Yeah, I don't know about his parents, what kind of stock he comes from, but I understand that you know, people aren't in favor of prison brutality, but the fact that she sounded kind of indignant, I really think at this point, when you've given birth to this guy, you maybe just shouldn't talk anymore. Just kind of let it go, whatever your opinions are, you know? Yeah, but it is it's his mother. You have to understand the love of a mother or a father for that case, for their child. No matter what their child is or becomes, He's always going to be their child. His father actually blamed himself, saying that he should have been there more. He should have been more loving towards his son, and maybe it would have changed something. And I know that makes him feel a little bit like he's putting the blame on himself. Well, I'm sorry to tell him and inform him, but that would have made absolutely no difference at all. Jeffrey Dahmer was wired to be the person he was, the monster he became, and nothing short of lobotomy or death would have changed that. So we had a few listeners that have messaged our Instagram page and they're curious about what's going on with your case with you personally. Uh, 
think that you've touched on it a few times, but thought maybe you'd want to give them an update of some sort. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for being concerned and, and caring. Um, but yeah, so um, on March the 4th, uh, we had a hearing in, in Orange County and the court basically postponed or continued my sentencing hearing till mid-June. And um, at that time, we'll be conducting a few motions before sentencing, which um, for all intended purposes should be uh, a sentence of life because they have elected not to seek, well, the death penalty on me again. I guess they realized that um, giving the death penalty to an 18-year-old boy, which was the time that these things happened, uh, wasn't probably the most uh, financially smart thing to do. And they probably realized that you know, laws have changed. An 18-year-old boy's brain development isn't that of an adult and um, less culpable. Nonetheless, um, it should be a, you know, a couple of days in court we'll, we'll be filing things. Of course, there'll be an opposition to them and the court will decide on what to do and ultimately the court will step in and sentence me, at which point, more than likely, I will be moved very shortly after that from San Quentin, from death row to a medium security prison because I'll have only uh, 19 points and that is a, a level two prison where I'll probably be for a very long time. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, if the court, of course, steps in and returns my full reversal, which I had in 2017, where they ordered me released in 120 days, um, but yeah, we, no one really knows what's going to happen. It's, it's easy to sit here and kind of play armchair quarterback, but really no one knows. If you would have asked me in 2017 what was going to happen, I would have probably thought that I was going to go home. And, of course, the higher court changed that. So we'll see. Stay tuned. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. But you know, never, nevertheless... Uh, you and Matt are going to continue to break down cases and talk about things that have happened in prison and because there's a few of you, a few of like back up and start that over again. Um, three, two, one. Because a few of you actually are interested to know what really happens behind these walls and want to have the opinions of a person who actually knows serial killers aside from as opposed to a person who's never met them, read a book, and decides to run a podcast. Well, there won't be any of them in this new prison that you'll you'll be at for an undetermined amount of time, uh, or will there? No, probably not. Um, it, it'll it's going to be a level two mainline prison, and. They normally don't put serial killers in those type of surroundings because of the people that are there. But then again, as I mentioned, this is a medium security prison. Um, there's probably not going to be a lot of people who are trying to be violent. I will go to a prison like this because I have not been involved in, in any violence in a very long time. And um, although it's, it surrounds me every single day, um, you know, I'm, that's not my frame of mind. Um, so the chances that a serial could serial killer could be there are very slim, but if, if there is one there, it would be highly unlikely that person would then be killed or assaulted because 
the people there are trying to go home. They're, they are have dates of release, and the last thing they want to do is commit assault or uh, or some kind of criminal act when they are taking classes of rehabilitation and trying to make themselves into better people so they can uh, be productive citizens of society. Where is this prison geographically in relation to San Quentin? Well, it depends on where they send me. I'm going to ask to go to a place closer to my home, but there are a number of level two prisons in the state of California. There's Pelican Bay, which is near the uh, the Oregon border. There's there's um, the medical center, I believe, is close to Susanville. There's Tehachapi. There's uh, Donovan. There's Calipatri near the Arizona border. There's uh, Sentinella again, Ironwood. Those are all by Blythe. So there's a number of prisons. There's San Luis Obispo. There's probably 14 to 16 prisons in the state of California that have level twos that I could go to. So it's there's no telling where those send me. Yeah, I always see them, all those, most of those that you mentioned, you know, like on road trips driving from LA to San Francisco or maybe to Phoenix. And yeah, they're all out in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, I was curious if you would, I'm assuming, prefer to be closer to where you're from in, in uh, Orange County because, uh, you know, I never thought about it before. But when you get sentenced to a prison if you're from Orange County and you're up in Marin County, that's, uh, what? I don't know, 500 miles? Maybe a little less than that? Maybe closer to 400? I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's far from where you're actually from, where your family is. Absolutely. And, you know, I have parents who are in their 80s. My father suffers from Alzheimer's and dementia, and I would like to see my father before he passes away. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a sad situation, but he is, you know, suffering from that. He's in a special home where they care for him 24-7. I would like to see him. I'd also like to see um, my son and spend time close to him. I mean, unfortunately for him, uh, I have been here in St. Quentin all these years, and he had not, not had a chance to really be close to me where he could just travel a few minutes or a few hours and get to me. This is quite a trip up here. So there's a lot of things. Family, and it would be nice to be close to home again. It's been you know, 35 years since, I, since that kid left and 40 years since I've been behind these walls. So it would be a nice change, Matt. Yeah. Well, all the listeners that have reached out have have expressed support and, you know, are hoping that you're released and just that at the very least that your, your, your case continues to have the possibility to be resolved. And so, you know, just everyone's kind of hoping for the best, obviously. So, uh, as am I. And so I guess that's where we'll leave for now. I've been Matt Ralston. And this is William Nogueira. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it. Have a good day.